now hear the word of the Lord as he speaks his word to us from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. This is the word of the Lord. What a great passage. <laughs> thanks, Pat. Well, I just, I have to say thanks, not just for everything last week, but somebody left me a surprise gift on my desk this morning, and you have to see it. I don't know if you can see it from back there. This is a Taylor Swift poster from the Eras Tour. Now, I, you got, somebody knows I'm a secret Swifty. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know if, so, you know, there's a movie out now apparently that you could actually, if you didn't get to, you know, the tickets to the concert were very expensive. So they said, let's just make a movie so everybody can go. So if now, if you want to go to the concert, you can. You just got go to go buy a ticket to the movie theater and you can, you can scream and sing with Taylor all you want to. So, but anyway, thank you. I think I have an idea who it might be because I know who's a secret Swifty in here. Uh, and so, but anyway, they'll rename nameless, but thank you so much for that. I appreciate, appreciate it. Um, is Richard here this morning? Not related to the Swifties. I just wonder if Richard here. I don't see him. Okay. I think he may be out of town. Um, the man in a hole, the man in a hole. Have you ever heard of that phrase before? If you are a librarian, like we have a couple in here and uh, or love stories and books and writings, if you're an author of any kind. Uh, or if you like Marvel movies, uh, you're familiar with story arcs. Story arcs, right? The journey of the character, the journey of the story. And one of the most common, the probably most famous of all the story arcs, is, is what uh, writers call the man in the hole, or the man in a hole. Simply put, uh, the story starts with the character in a, a good place. And then 
right? Something bad happens and they get into a bad place, a hole, if you will. And the rest of the story is them working out how to get out of that bad place. And by the end, they've gotten out. And usually, if the story's any good, they're in a better place than where they were when they started. Right? So they were here, they went into the hole, but they worked themselves out. And, and now they're up here, and they look back and go, wow. And we all think, wow, that's a great story. That half the books of all time are, are the, the story arc of the man in a hole. Um, you know, we could talk about all kinds of examples. My favorite's probably uh, The Lord of the Rings, right? They're all happy in the Shire, and then something comes and knocks them off their feet, and it's the worst thing ever, and they're all going to die unless they, something gets fixed. And here we go, here go our heroes, and they work themselves literally out of holes throughout the book. Uh, and finally they get to the mountain, and, and everything's good, and evil's destroyed, and and the characters are more than what they were when they started. They've been developed. The, lots of great things have happened. And the, that's the man in a whole story arc. But before some, you know, professor, and he's actually from the University of Vermont that came up with this theory, and he, he said every story in the world fits in one of six story arcs. This was here. This existed before he, he, he said so. Um, And and I would say it's there because of sin, because bad things happen. Every one of us can relate to the man in a whole story because we've experienced it. We've lived it. We've seen it. All that we know is us trying to get out of the hole. That's that's the life story, if you will. And and to go a step further, I think it's there because because things went bad and God wants to see redemption. Because the story could have just been Man fell into a hole and stayed there. But God wants more. And so we do see a redemption story, and we're going to see it everywhere because that's who God is. The story of redemption through this man in a hole story arc. God is working the same way and and, and is the original story, right? Similar to the, the man in a hole story arc, uh, I, I believe that one of the main themes or stories, if you will, that we see in Scripture is, is what some scho- scholars call the high-low-high theme of the Bible. High-low-high theme, okay? Similar thing. Something I think that God cares a lot about um, is us seeing how he brings people up out of holes of different kinds, Think of just some of the main characters in the Bible. Think of Moses, right? He, he was in a high place. He was raised as a son of the, fair, uh, of the Pharaoh. Um, but he ended up getting low. Right? He loses his temper. He kills an Egyptian, and he's got to run for his life. And he just thinks, well, I'm stuck in the hole. I'm going to live forever out in the wilderness. But then God comes to him, and he says, hey, you're going to be my guy. I'm going to make you the deliverer of my people and, and do the greater thing that, than, than has been done. And, you know, Moses ends up being elevated and, and high. Or, or maybe Joseph, right? Joseph was blessed by his parents. He was the most loved of his, of his brothers. But his brothers were jealous of that and literally put him in a hole, right? You know this story. And then they sold him into slavery, Is he going to be stuck there forever? No, God is going to do something about it. God is going to elevate him, bring him high after being low, and he's going to become the prime minister. 
of, of Egypt, the, the second most powerful man in the world, so that he can save his family, save the very ones who betrayed him. What about David? David had a pretty good life. And then he gets anointed king, right? Samuel comes and anoints him as king, and what happens? Immediately he's got to run for his life, and he spends, you know, many, many years on the run, afraid. He's low. He started high, got anointed as king, but he didn't get to be king. He, he's running for his life, and he's in this low spot. And then what's going to happen? God is going to bring him high again. So I want you to keep this high-low high kind of story motif, theme, if you will, in mind as we look at God's word this morning. We are continuing in our series in Philippians, uh, and, and just like we had a couple of weeks ago when I told you in, in kind of the beginning of Philippians 2, hey, this is pivotal stuff. This is one of the most important passages in Scripture. This one is as well. And, and uh, I, I know I say that a lot because it's all important, but this is really foundational stuff that we're going to see uh, for help, help us understand faith and, and justification and some of these big words, you know, uh, being, being justified by Christ. So, so let's pray as we, as we read this in, incredible passage. God, would you teach us your truth this morning, and would it not only be head knowledge, would it be something that you use in our lives to change us? Help us trust you more and more every day because of the beauty of your gospel, the beauty of your word. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Philippians. We've started chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 of Philippians. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh... I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So we've been in the book of Philippians uh, for several weeks now, and, and we have several more to go. But we have, we have seen the big themes of this book kind of come out over and over and over again, and we've talked about them several times. Some of those being things like the gospel brings hope 
The gospel brings life. The gospel is going to go forward in our lives in good circumstances and in bad circumstances. The gospel makes us more like Christ. And we should use the example of Jesus as how we are supposed to live as, as recipients of this free gift of the gospel that we didn't earn, but it was given to us as a free gift, the ways that we now live as a result of that. And he, and he said, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks of things about being selfless, being united with one another in the gospel, being selfless because Christ was selfless. And so this morning, we're going to continue to see some of those main themes. But, but chapter 3 really does start uh, kind of the second half of the book, um, building off of what's already been said. And that's why our, our passage starts with the word, finally. Uh, you might say, in light of these things is some way, uh, one way you could translate it. In, in light of all that we've just learned, right, finally works as well. So he says, finally, have joy. We've heard that before. <laughs> He's told us to have joy several times. That's what we started with, this, this idea of joy. He says, look, I'm just going to keep telling you over and over again. I don't mind. It doesn't bother me to keep telling you to have joy. It doesn't, keep, it doesn't bother me to keep telling you that the gospel should bring joy in your life. Verse 2 starts to get interesting. <laughs> he says, look out for those dogs. Watch out for the dogs. The ev- evildoers who mutilate the flesh. So we need a little context here before we uh, go through this. Because I, I know that you and I love dogs. I'm a dog person. They're cute and fluffy and obedient, and we feed them, and they sleep in our homes, and, you know, we take care of them. And, and this is not how the Philippians or the Jews would have thought about dogs. So to call someone a dog isn't a good, isn't a compliment. It's an insult. See, dogs were scavengers, right? They ate whatever they could find. It's, that's disgusting. They were unclean. They're, they're like buzzards and vultures. In them, but they were an unclean animal. And so this is an incredible insult um, because he's talking to and talking about a group that we call the Judaizers. The Judaizers. Judaizers. So these are people who, who claim to believe in Jesus, but who said in order to be saved, you had to keep the whole law like the, us Jews do. So it's, it's great you know Jesus, now keep the law and do all the stuff that the Jews are supposed to. That's, that's a Judaizer, somebody who believes that. Our, our passage that, that we just saw a few minutes ago from Acts chapter 15 it shows the church, shows the apostles, shows Paul dealing with this issue. There, there are these Gentiles who don't know anything about the law coming to Christ, and, and then they're being told, well, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and then you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, or else you can't be saved. And Paul says, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like grace and mercy. It doesn't sound like the gospel. Let's go talk to the, <laughs> let's go talk to the apostles. Let's go po- talk to, to Matthew and Peter and all the guys. Let's get down there. Let's, let's go see what's happening. Uh, where, where's John? Hey, John, what do you know? Luke, uh, you know, what do you, what do you know? Tell us, tell us what we know from, uh, from all this stuff. And, and this is them dealing, dealing with, with that, that issue. And, and they say, look, we never were able to keep the law. In fact, that's the whole point. If you look at all that God did through the law, it, it just pointed to what we couldn't accomplish. So why in the world should we put this on new believers? Why in the world should we 
put this thing on them that we couldn't keep ourselves, but now we're going to tell them they have to keep or else? That doesn't sound like what Jesus came to do. And so they end up making this decision. No, they don't have to fulfill the law. They don't have to keep the law to be saved. So, so this issue has been resolved, yet it keeps coming up over and over again. These, these people try to add things to the gospel. And, and if you've ever read the book of Galatians, you know he's dealing with that completely in that book. And he's very angry about it. And he says some really strong things about them. And, and he's going to kind of do the same thing here. That's why he's calling them dogs and mutilators of the flesh. Because he's talking about circumcision, but instead of using that word, which would have been a righteous word in the Jewish world, he says, you're just mutilators of flesh. That, that's definitely an insult. And, and then he's going to flip the script on them. Because he says they're evil ones, they're evil doers. People trying to keep the law and force others to do, he says, in fact, are evil doers. This is quite a turning the table on someone. He says, if you're trying to earn righteousness by doing the law instead of trusting in Christ, that makes you an evildoer. And he's going to keep on going. So look at verse 3. He says that the people who worship God through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of Christ, the, the people who put no confidence in their own flesh or those achievements, those are the people that are actually the circumcision. And when he says the circumcision, he's meaning the people of God. So who are the people of God now? It's not physically circumcised people. It's people who trust in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow God. And anybody who mutilates the flesh and tries to follow the law, they're now the evildoers. They're now the opposite of the people of God. This is an incredible passage if you can already imagine how they would have heard this. This is incredible stuff. But it's the same stuff that Jesus said. You remember how Jesus talked to the Pharisees, the people who would have said they were blameless in keeping the law? He called them whitewashed tombs. He says, you guys look great on the outside, but inside you're decaying, inside you're rotten flesh because your heart doesn't know God. Your heart is far from God. You don't know salvation, even though you look like it. You may be, look like a goody two-shoes on the outside. You're just dead inside. You're a whitewashed tomb. And, and, and so what we're seeing right here in this verse 3, it says the people of God are the ones who trust Christ for salvation and not themselves and who live through the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. Notice how Trinitarian this is. I was just teaching in our, the confirmation class to the kids this idea of the Trinity. Well, here's another piece of it. You, you, the people of God are the ones who trust in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to glorify God. This is mind-blowing stuff. Okay, so we're going to move on. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, we get another example. So if you've been... If you've been here through our, our, our series, we've seen over and over Paul using examples. He'll teach us something and he'll say, so then look at it. And here's, here's a truth, then look how it gets lived out. And, and look at these guys like Timothy and Epaphroditus. See how they live like Jesus. And, and he's going to use himself again as an example. Um, because he's going to say, look, if, if you're, you shouldn't be trusting in the flesh at all. In fact, that makes you an evildoer. If you're going to try to trust in your own self and in your own works, that's gonna, that makes you an evildoer. 
And then he's going to kind of argue. And if anybody ever had a, a shot at it, let me just tell you, it was me. And he's going to tell us about himself. If anyone else thinks he has con- reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. What a bold statement. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which was when you were supposed to be circumcised, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, right? One of the high elevated tribes. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Remember, Paul was born with a leg up. Right? If there's a blue blood, you know, in the sense of, of, uh, of, of the Jewish faith, Paul would have, would have been in that category of people. Uh, he, he was from the pro- tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised when he should have been. Now, all this, we would say, well, that's your parents doing. You didn't do anything. Right? You were just born. And he says, that's right. I was born elite. I was born of the, of the right class of people. I had, you know, royal blood, if you want to think of it that way. He gets the credit. Right? He gets the credit for his bloodline. But he says, and beyond that, I'm the ultimate Jew. I'm the Jew of Jews. He says, I was so good at following the law, I was a Pharisee. Right? I, I was in the honors program of goodness. That's what Pharisees were. They were so good at it, they got taken to another level and got a new title. I, I, I'm, I'm in the honors program of, of goodness here. And he says, I was so zealous for God that I persecuted the ones that he thought hated uh, God, which were the Christians. He said, I, I went after him. I went after him. I was, I was so zealous that I persecuted God's enemies. And he says, I was faultless in legalistic righteousness. That's, that's quite a phrase. That's quite a statement. But all of that, he says, is loss. It's all loss. None of it compares to knowing Christ, to trusting in him and to knowing Christ's righteousness. He says, look, if, if I thought a person could be saved by the flesh and by good works and all that stuff, I'd have the best chance out of anybody, out of any of y'all. It's me. He says, but it was all a loss. He says, I've thrown it all aside. Okay, so I just want to mention a couple of things here because it's, it's pretty interesting. So if you're a, an accountant or a bookkeeper you know, you, this is your passage. You know, the whole book of Romans is for you guys, and, and, but right here too. This is your passage. Because Paul is actually using specific intentional business and accounting terms here. He, he could have used other words. He intentionally used business terms. He, he, he's, he's trying to help us see something. So he's, he's talking about the profit column and, and, and the loss column, and this is about as far as I go in accounting, right? There's red stuff and there's black stuff. There's profit and loss, and that's it. That's all I know. But, but that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, I used to have all these things in the black, right, in this, this column of good, this column of, 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 of positive. I had the best portfolio or books you could have. 
But then I met Jesus. And, and, I, and I understood the truth of grace, the truth of the gospel, the truth of mercy. And I realized I never was in the black after all. All of it was in the lost column. All of it was in the red. Am I getting those words right? Black and red. Am I getting that? I think. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. And he says all of it was actually loss. There's only one thing in the gain column. There's only one prophet. There's only one thing that truly is in the black. And that's Jesus. You know, if, you, if, you, if it's easier to think about it as a scale. Everything I've ever done for good, it was on this side. And none of it can compare. Jesus far outweighs it all. All that other stuff is worthless in terms of a scale in comparison to Christ and what he has done for us. So he would just say, Jesus far outweighs everything that we thought was in the good column. Throw it all out. It's worthless. And it leads me to the thing that I think is very interesting. A, a word that the ESV translates as rubbish. If, if you are a person who remembers this passage in the King James Version, you remember that it uses probably a better translation. It, it's closer to what Paul was meaning. The King James uses the word, do you remember? Dung. Dung. That's the, that's the polite English word of what Paul is getting at, okay? We'll just stop at that point. What Paul is referring to is something gross, something repulsive, something bad. And, and Paul doesn't normally talk like this. This is not, he's not a shock jock. He's not, but, he, but he's definitely wanting to get the point across here. He says, look, I was the best there's ever been in terms of righteousness, in terms of being a good guy, and all of it was rubbish. All of it was dung. All of it was disgusting and worthless. It was gross compared to what Jesus did. So we have to stop here because and, 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 I think that you and I, even though we don't like to admit it, we put some confidence in the flesh. Deep down, I think I'm a pretty decent person. God likes me better than most other people because of what I do. I don't, I don't say this in public very often, but it's in here. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't litter. Right? You, you name it, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Heck, I probably even get some brownie points because, you know, I've been on mission trips. I've, I've fed orphans, like literally. I've done that. So, so yeah, maybe I need some Jesus for some of my stuff, but, but I've earned some righteousness. And Paul, if he was standing here, would probably slap me in the face and say, it's rubbish. It's dung. Don't you dare start thinking like that. It's garbage. You can't add anything to the work of Christ. But there's also another side that I want to mention in terms of trusting in the flesh. Because it's the side that, that we also struggle with. And, and that is, what happens when, I, when I'm not doing so hot in the flesh? I've, I've messed up. My ledger is all red. What do I do? I'm doomed. I better run from God. I better hide from God. I, I've got no hope. 
I know I said that I've trusted in Jesus, but man, I've messed up. He probably hates me. He probably wants nothing to do with me now. Right? That's the struggle that we all deal with. I can't even come to walk into church on a Sunday because the Lord knows what I've done. I have no right to be in this building. <laughs> and, and Paul would say the same thing to this side too. He would say, it's rubbish. It's dung. Don't you dare think like that for a second. Because it doesn't have anything to do with what you've done or your worthiness to be in this room. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It far outweighs all of it. So both sides of that, it's Jesus. So we've talked a little bit about this, this, this high-low-high thing in, in the beginning. In our last chapter, we saw the ultimate example. We saw, we saw Jesus, and Paul says, look, Jesus was, was with God. He was, was God, and, and yet he, he made himself low. He humiliated himself, Paul says, and, and came and, and to, be, to be born on earth, to live as a human and, and, and he did all that, and he said, and then he defeated death, right? But he was crucified, he was humiliated by dying on a cross, but then he overcame death, and he was resurrected, and now he's exalted. So we had the high, the low, and the high, and he says he'll never be humiliated again. In fact, he's the king of kings, he's the lord of lords, he's, he, he, he is it now. Exalted. And we get to Paul's story. Here's the example the example piece. And he says, look, I was a Pharisee. I was an expert in the Bible. I had multiple PhDs in the law. I was as trained and studied as a person could be in righteousness. I was exalted. I was a Jew of Jews. But then what happened? He was humiliated on the road to Damascus. God humiliated him. He humbled him and he showed him all of that was garbage. All of that was rubbish. All of that is a loss. And then what happened after that? He says, God, God brought me up with Christ. I've been exalted. I've recognized what's the ultimate gain. I've gotten everything that could be put in my gain column, in my profit column. I got Jesus. I've got all that I ever need. I'm exalted. High, low, high. We would just say, this is the business of God. This is what he's doing. And I want you to look at verses 10 and 11 as we close up our time together. And he talks about this righteousness from God that depends on faith at the end of 9. And he says, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We might say that the man in a whole story arc continues. And it will follow that because that's the path of Jesus. Paul says, look, I want to know the power of his resurrection. High. Isn't that a, that's a wonderful phrase. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Meaning, death can't get me. I know the power of his resurrection. I'm saved. And then where does he go? And then I want to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. What? No, 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 no. I want the good of Jesus. I want the power of his resurrection. And Paul says that's not all that, that we get from Christ. We share in his sufferings, becoming like him even into death. Low. Low. And then he's going to go on. He says, and then to attain the resurrection of the dead. Resurrection from the dead. High again. 
high. Scholars believe that, that Paul is giving us a story arc, if you will, of believers. You want to know your story path? High, low, high. Salvation, the power of his resurrection, you got it. And then what? Then you walk like Jesus in his share in his sufferings and in his death until ultimately you'll receive the resurrection from the dead. That's our story arc. That's what's left for us. And if you've been saved, guess what? You've got the high, and from then on, you're going to get to share in the lows. Our lives are about living for the gospel. That means we experience suffering. We are still called to endure the wicked world's hostility against our Savior. And, and that oozes into our lives as well because of Christ. Jesus said that identifying with him, what that looked like was taking up a cross daily. Taking up a cross daily. That's a, that's a suffering image, isn't it? Taking a daily cross. So just don't have any false assumptions about the Christian life being easy, but the Christian life being full of prosperity. That's not the story line for you and me if, we, if you were in Christ. Knowing Christ is equal to sharing in his sufferings. And, and, and the last line points us to where God is taking us. The hope that we have out of the hole. The man in the hole is going to come out. That's the truth for you and me if you know Christ. And, and Paul says, look, I don't know what that looks like. I can't write that story for himself, he still wasn't sure. I don't know if I'm going to get killed tomorrow, if they're going to take my head, or if I'm going to get to come spend with time with you and I'll get to die of old age. I don't know. But I know that I will somehow, through Jesus, attain the resurrection from the dead. It, it wasn't in question of whether it was going to happen, but, but how and when. Jesus is going to assure that those in Christ receive the resu resurrection from the dead. So as we close our time, I remember as kids, the choose your own adventure books. <laughs> you, can, you get to choose your own story arc. You want to go this way? You want to go that way? We get to choose our own adventure here. We're in a hole. There's no disputing that. Anybody who doesn't think that is not paying attention to the world around them and their own lives. You're in a hole. Your, your own path, version one, do you dig yourself out of the hole? Do you try as best as you can to dig yourself out of the hole? And Paul says that choice is garbage. It's rubbish. It's dung. Don't, don't make that mistake. Or option two, he says, you can choose the path of Jesus where you trust in his righteousness, where you can receive his grace and mercy and there's the promise, the promise of eternal salvation where while we share in his sufferings for a while, eventually we will be brought up and achieve resurrection from the dead because of Christ's righteousness and not our own. That's the choice. And, and as God disciples us through life, he wants us to choose the way of Jesus every day. Because you and I are going to be tempted <laughs> to work out our own righteousness. We're going to be drawn towards confidence in the flesh or, or, or the opposite. We're going to be drawn towards despair because of the flesh to think that, oh, God hates us. 
I can never come to God again because of what I've done. Paul says, no. All of that is rubbish compared to Christ. The only thing we have in our prophet column, the only thing that is a win for us is Jesus. Everything else is rubbish. Let's pray. Father, we've just heard the best news we could have. That we, we could never be good enough. And when we aren't good enough, it's all about Jesus. Our best is garbage and our worst is garbage. And in, in the prophet column is Christ. Father, help us to choose. And when the enemy is in our, our ear saying, but you're good, you're a good person, you're good enough. Or when the enemy is in our ear saying, you'll never be good enough to come to Christ. God, would you, would you help us to hear and help us to remember that it's rubbish. Every day as we walk with you, we stumble and fall on our face. Would you remind us that Jesus is in our prophet column? That's all we'll ever need. So we don't have to run from you or hide from you. We can embrace the good news of the gospel that says Christ is enough. His righteousness is enough for us. Thank you, Father. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.